Hello again, witches, seekers, and friends, and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where we do a little ranting, raving, and wand-waving. I'm your host, Paige Vanderbeck, and together we're going to explore magic and spirituality, social justice, the psychic realm, and truly modern witchcraft. Hello, my witchy friends, and thank you for tuning in to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast. This episode is all about pleasure. This is a sort of personal episode, and most of what I'm discussing today is a new topic that I'm exploring within my own personal practice. I'm just kind of sharing the things I've discovered and created with you. Regular listeners or those who have started from the beginning, which is both really, really touching and absolutely mortifying for me, by the way. Uh, you guys know that every year I kind of intuitively connect with particular ideas or ideals, beliefs, words, even colors. This isn't something I, I'd like choose necessarily, you know, just out of the blue. For some time leading up to a new year, I start to get these psychic impressions that kind of stick in my brain. And they all seem to gather in the same place. I don't really know how else to describe it. I will just start seeing the same word or the same idea or the same colors just absolutely everywhere. Uh, I hope it will make more sense as the episode goes on. So this year, the color um, the color that I, I started seeing all over the place is red. Though it seems that not all shades of red, like or. Maybe it's a lot of different shades of red. <laughs> Everything from like crimson to a, a deep wine color that's more purple. I actually have like a weird hatred of wearing red clothes. Everybody tells me that I look great in them and I have red hair, but I just, I don't like wearing red clothes for some reason. But at the end of the year last year, I just started looking at them online, even bought a few stuff that I normally would not wear. Um, and I didn't buy anything in colors that I do normally wear aside from black, of course, because I'm a you know, goth. Um, but instead I went for like red and pink and like wine colored velvet and like this crimson lace shawls. And like, it's all just so like luscious and amazing. <laughs> I really like it. And I never really noticed how kind of deep and cool some of those dark reds can feel. So very deep and cozy. Um, and yeah, a little bit cool despite being a red, like temperature cool. Um, you know, super bright red makes me feel warm and like my blood is pumping, you know, it's very energetic. And then some of these darker reds in the wine colors feel like, I don't know, they feel like a cool night, maybe near a fire or, you know, you're having a drink and, and you feel that heat in your cheeks. It's somehow, you know, a little more earthy and a little more watery than a lot of reds are. It's a color that flows rather than leaps out at you. As you can see, I've been getting kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> um, and a lot of times how this works is these things, they, you know, to use the parlance of the time, live rent free in my brain. And they're just, for whatever reason, they're teeny tiny little details that your brain would normally filter out as not important, but they get stuck. And I, I just focus on them so much. You know, I start seeing the colors more. So I start looking for them more and I start seeing them more. I also just, you know, how all of that stuff makes me feel, I notice that there's a difference. So the word that I've been seeing and hearing everywhere is pleasure. And this is a word I actually still struggle to say out loud because it sounds so cheesy um, and over the top, like it's such an over the top word. And this is 
no doubt, you know, an example of why I'm feeling called to work so much with it, <laughs> trying to get through that discomfort. When most of us hear the word pleasure, we also think of sexual or sensual pleasure. And while that's definitely like at the top of, I don't know, like the pleasure pyramid, it's far from the be all end all, right? It just, it's a word that has a very strong sexual connotation to us, even though that's not necessarily a part of its original meaning. So I've been thinking a lot about what kinds of things I find pleasurable, what kinds of, you know, stuff, scenes, activities, flavors, you name it. What is it that I enjoy? And this sounds really simple to a lot of people, but after years of depression and anxiety and my newest diagnosis, which is actual PTSD, great, um, pleasure and liking things is like very confusing. Trauma affects your brain physically. Uh, depression and anxiety too. You know, they, they affect the chemicals that are released in your brain, especially the ones in the reward system in our brains. It can be hard or impossible to actually feel or recognize pleasure or even just wanting something. So wanting is part of the whole um, chemical situation in our brains that is in our reward system. And this is actually... Uh, called anhedonia. And it can it can occur on its own. It can be a disorder that's just stuck in there, or it comes with a lot of different mental illnesses. So wanting and liking are different parts of the whole pleasure experience. And when you're cut off from that, you start to feel like nothing in life makes you happy or feels good. You don't even know what good is in terms of feeling. You don't like anything. You don't want anything. And this can obviously affect people to a huge degree and leads a lot of people to feel like there is nothing worth living for. <laughs> I know suicidal ideation wasn't exactly what you had in mind when I said pleasure. <laughs> uh, this is the end of that, don't worry. But I think it highlights just how vital that is to us, to us humans, to us people. Pleasure isn't a simple luxury. It's absolutely imperative to us that we love and like and want and desire and enjoy things in our life. So I started making a list of things that make me happy. And some of it was great, you know, like taking a walk on a breezy day, laying down on freshly washed sheets, petting my cats, scraping the calluses off my feet that get huge because of all those nice breezy walks, listening to good music, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> then when I got really honest, I listed things like, Spending money, shopping at the dollar store, and buying dumb craft supplies I don't need, greasy cheeseburgers, fighting with internet trolls, breaking stuff, talking shit. And that's just like, <laughs> all of that's just way less great. It's just less great. And those, I hope you realize, are, I'm trying to be a little bit funny with it, but I noticed that I, I don't, I don't really like a lot of the things that I like. <laughs> I don't like a lot of the things from which I derive pleasure and I would like to derive pleasure and be happy about just, just way different things. The things that I derive pleasure from are mostly like survival type behaviors. I've been poor and mentally ill for a really long time now. <laughs> and when I say poor, I mean living off of less than a hundred dollars for a whole month poor. Okay. So, I mean, poor. 
And when you live like that for a long time, it affects the way you live and the way you react to the world. You, you know, you tighten up your budget, you prioritize some things and you deprioritize some things you go without and you get anxious and all of that. You don't really know when or if your financial situation will improve. So you live, live as if it will not and that you have to make sure that you're okay for quite some time. And that stuff all becomes habitual. And when you get out of that situation and have a little bit of money to live, you have no idea how to use it except in this survivalist kind of way. Money isn't the only resource that we, we parse out like that, though. It's, it's the easiest one to explain. But we all make the same kind of choices to prioritize things like food that you get to eat, the things that you will buy yourself when and if you will get new clothes, what you spend your time on, what people you can make room for in your life. And when you have very little, you know, the joy that you can get from sitting on the couch with your sister watching Law & Order reruns becomes just astronomical. And what I'm getting at here is that throughout our lives, our relationship to pleasure changes a lot. But no matter what you go through, it's still so vitally important that we do whatever we can to find it. And the lack of it affects us in a very, very deep way. I've talked a lot about making sure that your practice and your use of magic makes you happy. You know, don't follow a spellcasting method that you find really dull or offensive. You know, make your own instead. Don't take it so seriously that you lose sight of how much fun magic can be. But... I never really thought about using magic to create and explore happiness and pleasure itself. I mean, I've, I've thought about it, but I don't, I don't really do it. <laughs> when I cast spells, it's, it's often for things that I need. Things like money to pay rent, more energy or motivation, self-confidence, psychic clarity, you know, whatever it is. And while the act of designing and casting a spell itself is pretty fun, I enjoy it. I realized that I, I, you know, I haven't been prioritizing any actual fun. So I just haven't been doing it. You know, I think of my intention and I'm like, you know, I just, I would love to do a spell, but I don't really feel like working towards that. Now, I'm not saying that I need to, you know, dress and burn a big, beautiful candle to make me an excellent hula hooper or, but, you know, honestly, I can't think of a single reason why you shouldn't or couldn't do that. So this year, how I use magic is going to change just a little bit. Um, and I'm going to be focusing a lot less on the survival stuff, which not all of it, obviously, but I'm, I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm going to be looking at stuff that I don't necessarily need for survival, but that I need for, for happiness, for self-improvement, for motivation and inspiration. So how I use magic this year is going to change uh, just a little bit, I'm sure. And <laughs> I'm, um, I'm basically going to be applying a hedonistic philosophy to my, to my practice and life. You know, we just do not hear enough about hedonism anymore, least of all in witchcraft, which is wild to me. Uh, hedonism is not just like a, a really cool nude couples resort in Jamaica. It is a school of philosophy from ancient Greece in which pleasure is like the ultimate goal or motivation in life. 
A lot of people believe it's the thing that motivates our behaviors and the thing we should look to for motivation in everything, all of our endeavors. In our everyday modern language, hedonism and hedonist have such a negative connotation. So you get these images in your mind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, it's extreme violence and sexuality and drug and alcohol, absolute abuse and murder and, you know, seeking your own pleasure over that of anyone else and fucking other people over, you know, not taking responsibility for other people. Wild. And realistically, that, that image is a lot more like, like libertinism in the Marquis de Sade, right? <laughs> And that's really something else entirely. There's nothing wrong with finding pleasure in some of those things, at least. Or in all of those things to a certain degree, I guess. I don't know. I don't think murder is something that you should get a lot of pleasure from. But there are people that do. <laughs> Not all murderers, I guess. Silly. Um, but all that stuff is not totally universal. You know, we're not all... We're not all aching for that kind of experience. When I think of living a life motivated by seeking my own pleasure, there are like zero instances of hurting anybody. That wouldn't make me happy. I don't, I don't really want to hurt anybody. I don't want to take anything from anybody. What would make me happy is a world where seeking happiness isn't so difficult for so many and where there isn't so much stigma attached to, like, genuine pleasure, just liking things, the things that you like, whatever it is that you like. And within that view, that that dream, there are small things that only affect me. So things like having my own house with fruit trees and flowers growing in the yard, you know, beautiful. But that really only helps me and makes me happy. So I also dream of things like student loan forgiveness and free education for fucking everybody, free health care for anybody, uh, more money every month for disabled people, them being able to get married without losing benefits, you know, large factory farms and testing makeup on animals being outlawed, <laughs> solar and wind power, the end of for-profit prisons, like all those things would greatly increase the amount of pleasure that I and many other people get from life. So hedonism when applied ethically, is so much less selfish and individual than a lot of us have been led to believe. So, I am fully committing myself to living a fucking hedonistic life from this point on, as well as more uh, developing a more hedonistic witchcraft practice. And fortunately, I have found myself on this path with a guide. A goddess, actually. Voluptas is the ancient Roman goddess of pleasure. She's the daughter of Eros or Cupid, the god of erotic love, and Psyche, the mortal-born goddess of the soul. As such, Voluptas is really associated with sensual pleasure, pleasure that you feel and experience with your five senses here in the physical world, but that touches you right to your soul. In Greece, the same uh, goddess or goddess idea was called Hedon. Voluptas in Latin and hedone in Greek directly translate to pleasure. Voluptas is obviously the root of the word voluptuous, you know, a word that I used to really, really hate. That actually means that something is very pleasurable in, in appearance or that it's aesthetic, really just it screams pleasure to you, right? Voluptuous is often used to describe fat and curvy body types, but it really, it actually doesn't mean anything about size at all. It just means that the appearance 
of that body calls to mind images and emotions of sensual pleasure. I used to hate this word because it was one of those, you know, those fancy words that people would say so they didn't have to say the word fat. It was so ridiculous. Like, what fucking year is this, man? And, and it was, it also has this, like the word pleasure has this sexual or sensual connotation, which I just didn't like being forced on me. You know, it was a little bit icky. I hated the idea that my body sent out sexual messages that I couldn't control just because of the way I was born. I just didn't love that. Now that I'm learning a little bit more about it and where it comes from, you know, I've begun to see this word a little bit differently. So thinking of my body as just like, and this, you know, in terms of this word, thinking of having a voluptuous body, that means that my body is just, you know, the human embodiment, I'm saying the word too many times, um, of pleasure and joy. And that is so different. That is so powerful. It's so big and powerful that it actually makes me a little bit sad because I, I struggle to see myself that way right now. And a lot of people with a body that people might describe as voluptuous probably relate to those feelings. Hidong, uh, as a root word, is actually like pretty prevalent in our language now. It's not all over the place, but we, we do use this word as a root for a lot of our other words. Um, you know, hedonism, obviously, but you also heard me say anhedonia earlier, anhedonia. Um, it's the inability to feel pleasure. In our brains, the, the reward system has what are called pleasure centers or hedonic hotspots. Literally, the parts of our brains that process and experience pleasure are all named after this goddess. Voluptas doesn't have much mythology of her own, unfortunately. She was not... Mm, there's lots of different kinds of goddesses in Greek mythology. You know, she wasn't exactly the same as a lot of the goddesses we're familiar with. So, like Athena, Minerva in Rome, for example. This was a goddess with a whole bunch of mythology. She has stories, um, you know, statues, a kind of agreed-upon physical appearance, all of that. In the mythology, people have experiences of witnessing or seeing the goddess here on earth in her human-type form. Um, and then there were there were other goddesses that, you know, they, they were just as much powerful and divine. They were goddesses, just like any other goddess. But they were more of a, a deified ideal than they were a flesh-and-blood person in the minds of these, these people. So, Goddesses like the Charities, the Muses, the Fates, the Seasons, and Hours. All these goddesses were total goddesses. Um, but they often aren't seen individually. You know, you <laughs> we see the Charities and the Fates and the Muses in artwork. But you rarely see them each individually. You rarely see stories of each individual Muse or Charity or Season or what have you. It's when they work together. And um, Voluptus often was lumped in with these in images and stories in the birth. Is it the birth of Venus? No, I believe it's uh, I believe it's the other one by Botticelli, the, the seasons, the garden, whatever it is, the one that has the, the three charities or the three graces there. One of them, he actually named um, Voluptus. And that makes sense. The charities, the graces, they were the entourage for Venus, Aphrodite. And Venus, as Cupid's mother, was 
Voluptus's grandmother. So it makes sense to see them all together. So Voluptus never, she never had her own stories, a body, a face, a look. She's not a popular goddess in modern witchcraft traditions or practices that I've been able to find. And so there are no correspondences, associated herbs, astrology, rocks, things like that. In fact, almost her entire story is, uh, you can find it in The Golden Ass, Apuleius. Psyche, soul, was wed to Cupidos, love, and at full term a daughter was born to them. We call her Voluptus, or pleasure. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. So frustrating, right? <laughs> frustrating, but also very interesting. Because I personally love those goddesses, like the, the charities, the graces. Uh, my middle name is Irene, which is one of the seasons or hours. She's peace. She's the goddess of peace, basically. But again, she doesn't have her own mythology. She has stories within her, her group. So I've always kind of loved, <laughs> I've always kind of loved those goddesses that are just a little bit on the outside like that. Now it's been, it's been ages. I mean, just ages since I felt inspired or called in any way to develop a relationship with a, with a deity in any sort of big way. So finding nothing, um, a little bit hard. <laughs> I was hoping I could find some things, you know, there are paintings of the charities and the graces at least. Uh, I don't know how to worship anybody. You know what? I don't know what I'm doing. But I could not stop thinking about her and the word voluptus and the word voluptuous and, you know, everything that that meant. She dominated my thoughts and dreams. She was everywhere. Um, and a few short years ago, when I first learned the word voluptus and that it was the root of voluptuous and a goddess, I actually, you know, I was just kind of having fun. And I looked through some stock photos, stock photos of women that I thought, you know, could be her. And I found this gorgeous fat woman in a wine purple kind of dress with olivish skin and thick, luscious chocolate brown hair. And I just made a fun little, you know, graphic that I put on Instagram. And I never really thought about it again. So now when it, you know, when she got stuck in my brain again, I dug that out. And when I looked at it, it was like a, a light. It was like a light turned on in my brain. Someone flipped a switch. And this to me is now the face of this goddess. And she feels so much more real. Now I can't, I can't prove anything. I can't find any info that might disagree that this is what she would look like. You know, I even looked at more about Psyche to see if she had agreed upon or, or, you know, noted physical features, but, but she doesn't. She's had everything from red to blonde to black hair, milky skin or dark olive tones, you know, bright blue or dark brown eyes. It's different depending on the, the story. And she was said to be the most beautiful moral woman of all time. And beauty is so subjective that naturally her appearance would also change. So there was nothing to tell me what she would look like, nothing to say that she didn't. But this photo and this, this energy that the model in the photo was, was putting out to me was it. 
So I had my goddess. I had, you know, I have the picture on her on my phone now, <laughs> carrying her with me. And I continued to just think about her obsessively. So what might her story be? What other gods would she like or dislike? You know, whose entourage is she in? <laughs> what, what altars would look like if they were dedicated to her? What astrological signs might resonate with her? What kinds of herbs and crystals and colors have her power? You know, I just kept building and building on this in, in my head, just thinking about it constantly. So I started just writing it down and just making lists. I would try things out or read more about them or learn more and just cross them off, maybe explore them a little further. I didn't really know why I was doing this. I just went with it, honestly. You know what? It was It was a little bit like a compulsion, but it was also, I was really enjoying it. It was, it was interesting. It was fun. It's creative. You know, I get to use my intuition. And I think the fact that she, she had no look, no body, um, no face actually made it really easy for me to connect with, with the energy because, because that's just it. You know, Voluptus, Voluptus feels like an energy, an ideal. The goddess represents that stuff, but she's still more of a natural force than a person. I don't expect a humanoid goddess to appear before me. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't hear a voice, you know, in my head or in my third eye or anything like that. Um, you know, she's, she's kind of like a character in a series of books, you know, someone, someone that you, you know, that you've gotten to know, she's not going to walk through my door at any time, but that doesn't mean that she's not real. So every day I look at her image on the altar and every day I ask myself in my cards, how or where I can find pleasure today? Where can I go to search for and meet this goddess? And what I've ended up with is a whole stack of notes and stories that I would qualify as unverified personal gnosis. None of it can be fact-checked. There's no direct historical basis for any of this. It's all gathered by me, by my intuition, my divinations, meditations, dreams, that sort of thing. As far as her appearance goes, I think the only single sure thing here is that Voluptus is fat. Voluptuous became a synonym for fat for a reason. Voluptus is a gorgeous fat goddess, and you'll never convince me otherwise. I know from experience that anxiety, fear, and depression can keep you from manifesting your most magical life on the best of days. And which is, these days are not the best. That's why if you're struggling or feeling lost, I want you to consider reaching out to a professional licensed therapist through BetterHelp. Within 24 hours, they'll assess your needs and match you with a therapist that is specially trained to deal with everything from depression and anxiety to grief, conflicts at home, and even sexuality and gender across the spectrum. It's all online, so there's no awkward social distancing in the waiting room. You're in the comfort and safety of home. You can message your therapist anytime and schedule weekly audio or video chat sessions. The service is available worldwide. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and they offer financial aid to those who need it. Lately, so many people have been reaching out that BetterHelp is actually recruiting more counselors in all 50 states right now. I want you to manifest the life of your dreams, starting today. 
As a listener, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash fatfeministwitch. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash fatfeministwitch. So, Philoptus is a, is a fat goddess. And also imagine her skin to have a gold glow or shine because her father Eros or Cupid literally shone like gold at all times, like his skin did. She'd certainly get some of that. And since they're in the Mediterranean, to me, she has a lot of Mediterranean features in her face. More Southern, like, well, Greece <laughs> and Sicily and, uh, and the coast of Turkey. So I imagine deep and dark brown for her hair because it's so luscious and earthy to me. Um, same with her eyes, brown, but I imagine them more like the color of whiskey, so like they've got a little honey in there. Um, another detail I can't shake is the idea that she's always barefoot. I imagine just, you know, like a little story in my head of the ground beneath her always being soft and stable and pleasurable for her to walk on, no matter the surroundings. So, you know, she could walk over steep rocks and they'd feel like lush carpet or moss. And if it was raining, she didn't want cold feet. They'd feel dry. Or maybe she would want to feel the soft and warm rain instead of whatever hailstorm was raging, you know. She could walk over glass and it just feels like she's walking over sand. Um, Not only is that just kind of fun and cute, but to me that means she's always connected to the earth, right? She's a very earthy goddess, always directly connected and interacting with the planet beneath her. Now, I'm I'm obviously biased, all people are, and I'm definitely finding things in this goddess that are also present in myself or that I, I want to be. I'm not blind, I know I'm doing it. <laughs> I personally think life would be better if we all wore shoes like at least 75% less than we do. You may not feel this way, and that's totally cool. Likewise, if you imagine this goddess a, a different way, that's amazing. And I would probably love to see it. In women who've existed, I see her in like Nina Simone, sometimes young Aretha Franklin. Also, uh, A.D. Bryant and all the fat babes in um, in the fat pool party episode of Shrill. <laughs> definitely see her there. Um, and I hear her kind of in the voice of Eartha Kitt. Now, Eartha Kitt, super thin woman naturally thin and really lean, but her voice and her demeanor is so like sensual and growly and earthy and, and super cool, right? So songs like Santa Baby and I Want to Be Evil are about her just wanting to be happy and get pleasure from whatever the fuck she wants um, and damn what anyone else in society has to say about it, you know? And all villainry aside, I think Catwoman, uh, you could definitely say was a hedonistic character. <laughs> So some of the the themes of Voluptus and her energy are sensual pleasure, bliss, beauty, expression of the soul through physical intimacy, really enjoying things like your food and your drink, you know, actually taking a lot of enjoyment out of that. Uh, Voluptuousness, euphoria, and all of the senses, so the five senses, and abundance. And she can be like a really powerful patron deity. So she is the patron of hedonism. Absolutely. It's named after her. Fat beauty, pleasure via the senses, sexual pleasure, physical intimacy, that whole merging of the body with the soul type vibe. And, you know, the reward system in your brain, those hedonic hotspots. 
And thinking about who, you know, what she might be a patron of is where it got a little interesting for me. You know, I, I made that little list above very quickly, but I've since stopped to consider each of those things. You know, hedonism is self-explanatory. <laughs> She's the patron of the school of thought of ethical hedonism and even biological or psychological hedonism, meaning that, you know, sometimes we do things driven solely by seeking pleasure and that that is a human trait. Uh, fat beauty, again, is, is kind of obvious. She was fat and beautiful and ruled sensual pleasure. She's the patron of every fat person who is working to love and find pet pleasure in their body or with their body. I would also argue that she is the patron of fat fetishism. Now, I personally do not have a fetish for fatness or fat people, and I do not enjoy being fetishized. But that is just me. Finding sensual and sexual pleasure in fat bodies, fat people, eating and feeding and grabbing and touching, all of that is, is very voluptuous, right? The problem here is that this fetish, um, this is a fetish where consent is like a huge problem, right? Many fat people, women especially, are fetishized just completely against their will, and sometimes without even knowing. Because of fat phobia and like the general stigma of being attracted to fat people, whether it's a fetish or not, um, lots of people just, you know, they just keep it to themselves or even outright fucking lie about it. <laughs> I've straight up asked um, men who, who've asked me out, you know, if they had the fetish, been told no, you know, we talked about it, everything's fine. But then when the topic of eating came up, you know, it was, it became pretty clear that they're aroused by the sight of watching fat people eat. So like, man, I've specifically fucking asked and you specifically said no, but still. <laughs> um, so I would say that she's the patron of fetishism and also that she is the, my own personal patron of attraction, experiencing attraction without mandatory fetishization, not having to have that be present. I also really think of her as a patron of massage and, you know, spa services that are mainly for pleasure. So the therapeutic massage that feels like hell on earth, but leads to a lot of healing <laughs> might not be her bag, but massage that makes you feel calm or relaxed, um, that relaxes muscles, that makes you feel loved and cared for because it's coming from someone you know and love. Absolutely. The whole desire to touch and be touched and the pleasure we derive from that is the realm of voluptuous. This goes along with physical intimacy. So making a deep connection with another person through touch or, you know, the senses. This can take place during sex. This is usually what people think of, but intimacy is not inherently sexual. Much like the word pleasure, that's just something we've, we've tacked on to the meaning, um, you know, in recent decades, centuries, what have you. So expressing your feelings, your love, and your soul through physical contact with other human beings is kind of the ultimate voluptuous or hedonic act. <laughs> I definitely associate her with food and with enjoying food uh, and food abundance, having enough to eat so that you're happy and you're healthy. You know, you have enough to be stable um, and to make yourself happy to do things that make you happy. So I, I, you know, equate her with abundance. Um, but especially with food, food abundance, how we enjoy food and our feelings about food. When I was researching, uh, I'm going to get to crystals later, but when I researched crystals, um, to try to find some that, that resonated with, with her vibe, 
I found a handful and I noticed that um, some tertiary purposes for almost all of those crystals were things like healing food and security issues, healing eating disorders, um, you know, making sure there's always food in the pantry or the kitchen, helping people find pleasure in food and eating, helping people not get addicted to the pleasure they get from food specifically. You know, so they're crystals to use when eating stops being fun and becomes a coping mechanism or like a method of self-harm. When food becomes your enemy, it's really hard to ever see it as a friend again. And this is where voluptus can, can intervene or maybe just help you along the path of healing. When it comes to specific associations with crystals and plants and things like that, I started by thinking about astrological signs and planets, elements and chakras that might resonate with the energy of voluptus. Those are usually really great places to start because then, you know, you can find things associated with all of those points. So for astrology, I have the planet Venus, the asteroids Eros, Psyche, and Dionysus, and the sign of Taurus and Scorpio. So Venus is the planet of love and beauty and value. This is a little obvious. Venus was also Voluptus's grandmother in astrology. Then we have Eros and Psyche, her parents. They each have their own asteroid. In your birth chart, Eros can highlight your turn-ons and sexual interests, while Psyche can help you dive into where your soul feel most, feels most at home. In relationship astrology, often you'll compare your own Eros and Psyche to your partners and see how they match up. Dionysus, named after the, her cousin, Voluptus's cousin, the Greek god of wine, this can show you where you may struggle to let pleasure in and the ways that you can connect to it more deeply. It can also give you a heads up about when you begin to lose control. Taurus is the main zodiac sign I see associated with Voluptus. It is a very earthy sign ruled by the planet Venus that is all about sensuality and sensual pleasure. You know, not just sexual, but like food and drink and luxury. They feel a lot of things. They're very earthy. They're connected to the planet. And I find that tourists, they can, they can slow themselves and their mind and everything around them down for a little while and like really actually get into or enjoy something fully. And that is a very voluptuous type idea. I also thought of Scorpio. Uh, not only is it the, the most sexual sign in the Zodiac, and, you know, sensuality is not just sexual, but there is a lot of that too. But Scorpio is also, you know, one of the most, I guess you could say, soul-focused signs of the Zodiac. You know, it's, it's a deep inner type sign as well as being very sexual. And I think that really resonates with um, this goddess's energy. For elements, I have both earth and water. I think that makes sense. We have the physical world and we have the emotional world. For the chakras, the sacral chakra, which is also the water chakra and the sex chakra, um, and the heart. These both have to do with love, with pleasure, with feeling things, with wanting things, and with expressing ourselves physically. And then the colors I, I thought of were things like, you know, nice dark purples and plums and jewel tones, you know, the general tones like that. Things that 
might be named after food like wine and chocolate brown <laughs> and blood orange and, and things like that. Even uh, like a darker pinks and roses. To start picking like individual specific things, I looked at a list of plants associated with Venus and sensuality. I used Harold Roth's Alchemy Works website to help me do that. You can search by by planet, by associated planet or zodiac sign, and it'll tell you exactly different types of plants, different types of spells, different types of energy associated with, you know, each individual planet or sign. So I looked at Venus and I looked at Taurus. And for botanicals, this is what I came up with. Damiana, great for both calming and sexuality, cocoa and chocolate, honeysuckle, which is a flower that is often actually described as a voluptuous flower. It's also very attractive, very sexy. Uh, passion flower, jasmine, all fruit trees, especially, you know, stone fruits, things like peaches and plums, all of which are ruled by the planet Venus. Same with apples. Then we have roses and hibiscus, both heart chakra opening and balancing flowers. Both of which are heart chakra balancing and opening flowers. Then we have pumpkin. If you listened to my episode on pumpkin magic around Halloween, I talked about how pumpkin is this really great tool for both abundance magic and love magic. It's great for attracting love, for love divination, and for anything to do with abundance and food security. So I thought that was, I thought that was um, kind of a, a different kind of plant that you could use to work with this goddess. And then we have sweet almond. Uh, the oil is, is one that I've been using to mix up blends and stuff for her. Patchouli, very sensual and earthy. Lilac, which is very intoxicating. <laughs> and red clover, which is a flower of beauty and also of prosperity and abundance. Finally, I thought of some, I thought of cannabis, uh, since it the cannabinoid system in our brains is part of the reward center and the pleasure centers, as well as belladonna. And actually, I think lots of different um, drugs or psychedelics or entheogens might actually fall under her care or her rule here, depending on that drug's relationship to pleasure and how you experience it or the way that you're using it. Um, but cannabis, especially in belladonna, belladonna means beautiful lady. <laughs> I thought that was perfect. When I was looking for crystals, I started by looking at those associated with the sacral and the heart chakras, as well as the sign of Taurus. I ended up finding that, you know, I wasn't, I didn't end up picking a lot of the crystals I assumed. Because a lot of crystals associated with sex and, and sensual pleasure, they just didn't quite fit. But what I did find is interesting things that linked certain crystals together, like, you know, healing body image and loving yourself and enjoying, you know, physicality and movement, self-love, uh, mindfulness, and being able to immerse yourself in an experience, joy, and that just generally enhance how you experience life. But I... You know, I actually think maybe my crystal list is missing some things because I'm noticing they're all kind of the same color <laughs> and it's not a super lot of variety. 
here's what I've got. Uh, Ruby. This is this is kind of the main one, I imagine. Ruby is Ruby and Garnet together are both really incredible passion stones, very heart-centered stones, and Ruby is incredibly deep. Incredibly deep. It helps you reach into your inner self, communicate with your shadow self, and come out victorious. Garnet is said to, you know, connect your sacral and your root chakra to enhance sexual and sensual pleasure, as well as doing things like enhancing your will to live, you know, helping you find things that you want, that you desire, that you like. It helps that along. As I mentioned earlier, when when you don't like anything, when you, when you don't enjoy anything, you don't feel pleasure anymore, you start to think that maybe life isn't worth it. Garnet and Ruby are both stones that can really help you work your way through that and find things to make your, to make you realize what your life is all about. Um, like her grandmother, Venus, I also associate her with Pearl. This is another, um, well, not stone, but <laughs> mineral, I guess you could say that is associated with, with love and sexuality, also beauty and, um, prosperity. And for women, it's also, um, like independent prosperity and abundance. Pearls are something that <laughs> pearls are something that a lot of women used to have that had a high value, something small that they could carry with them. And a lot of women who, you know, went out on their own started by selling their pearls and to start their new life. So I thought that was an interesting, that's just what I think of when I see pearls sometimes. Pink tourmaline. This is an excellent stone for healing all sorts of sexual issues, sexual abuse, um, helping you explore your sexuality a little bit more, helping you, I don't know, helping you work through your feelings about sex in general. Rose quartz, it's obvious, it's, you know, the main heart opening crystal. But I also thought of strawberry quartz. This isn't a crystal I'm super familiar with. It's new to me. It's this really pretty, sparkly, um, it's like a coral kind of pink, but pink stone. That's really great at helping you stop, slow down, and really surrender yourself to pleasurable or happy situations. It's also said to be a really good first date stone because it's calming. It's a very calming kind of stone. It helps you stay calm. It's said it can even help you if you are an excessive blusher. I am an excessive blusher. Um, or maybe if you stammer or or lisp a little bit when you're really nervous. Uh, <laughs> it can help you stay calm and self-confident in times like that without a whole lot of big energy running through you, right? It's, it's a lot more low-key. It also helps you, I don't know if anyone else has this problem, but I kind of hate having nothing going on. I always feel like I have to fill every moment with something. And strawberry quartz is something that helps you break that habit because when you're like that all the time, you can't really 
fully enjoy or fully surrender to any one thing or you're always thinking about the next thing or you're always thinking about how there's not enough in this space there's not enough going on there's not enough talking there's not enough whatever and strawberry quartz can really help with all of that it also of course is a heart chakra stone it can help heal open balance your heart chakra I also thought of amber, which is a very, it's a very physical stone, you know, it helps to um, ease physical pain. It's associated with Freya, who is another goddess in the realm of, of love and sexuality, as well as um, like love magic. I think of her more as like a goddess of like love magic versus just, just love. Uh, she was really into, you know, little love charms and things like that. And that just seemed like such a, such a fun such a fun mix of, you know, physical pleasure and that little bit of magic that I associate with the goddess. And then finally, moonstone. Not the not the regular um, white rainbow sheen moonstone that we're used to, but more of a natural or even a peach moonstone. Something that's a little bit more earthy. Something that connects that crown chakra and that connection to lunar energy with your, your lower chakras, your, your sacral and your root. Something that br bridges the gap between the emotional and spiritual and physical. Like I said, I feel like I'm missing a couple of stones here. Like I, I feel like I'm missing the deep, cool vibe that I get from the dark, you know, wine colors and purples in her list. I considered adding amethyst to the list, but I think that's just because, <laughs> that's just because of its connection with like Dionysus Bacchus. That was the story, right? That he, <laughs> he wanted Amethystos, this girl, and she said no, and she was about to be torn apart by tigers. So I think it was Athena turned her into a big quartz crystal. And Bacchus slash Dionysus felt so bad about it because it was his fault that he poured the wine over the crystal and it turned it purple. <laughs> so it's also known as like a, a stone of sobriety. Um, I don't really know if that's still on my list. I think it's just because amethyst goes good with everything. <laughs> it always feels like it should be on the list. I don't know. It's a process. I'm still working on it, right? Animals. I actually came up with two animals that I associate with Voluptus. The first is not going to surprise anybody. It's cats. I know I love cats, but cats are also seen as, you know, kind of this universal symbol of, of sensual sexiness. And that sounds creepy when I say it because they're animals, right? But they, they very much represent a whole bunch of stuff about women. A lot of it is, you know, kind of sexist. But when we turn that on its head, that really is what witch and calling ourselves witches and witchcraft is. So the cat is a symbol of, you know, female sensuality and sexuality of women who are smart, who are cunning, who can survive just about anything and just keep coming. So they're a very strong kind of animal that's also very associated with, you know, the soul, with spirituality. And then I have starfish. Starfish are like the most tactile animal on the planet. They experience the entire world by feeling and by taste, basically. They crawl and they eat and that's like, that's basically it. But they are an incredibly tactile animal that gets around a lot. <laughs> if you ever watch videos of starfish creeping along the ocean floor, it's actually kind of gross and scary. But starfish as an animal, they're associated with Venus. 
So they are great for um, love and beauty magic. Also, as a five-pointed star, they're great for protection as far as witches go. They're, they're a protective symbol. So when you combine all of that, you have this kind of protective talisman that protects your heart, protects your emotions. I also thought of foods, you know, and this kind of goes along with the botanicals, but I thought of, I thought foods specifically, I should consider a few. So first we have the stone fruits, right? The, the plums, the peaches, um, even apples, all of these trees that are associated with Venus, peaches and plums, especially, you know, when you cut them open, there is that vaguely, vague, <laughs> that vaguely vulva-like shape berries, things like your cherries and blackberries, especially, you know, super luscious, chocolate and coffee, sugar, vanilla, honey, all super, super luxurious, all have a lot of flavor, all are something that are kind of universally pleasurable to, to people. Pumpkin, as I mentioned earlier, also sweet potato, you have that sweetness and that earthiness, And it's a very, you know, physically grounding type food, the pumpkin and the sweet potatoes. Rose hips and, you know, any part of the rose. Oysters. This is another, um, this is a, oysters are considered to be the aphrodisiac. Really all aphrodisiacs are really great on this list. Any that you consider associated with sexuality or that too, that, you know, initiate some extreme reactions. <laughs> oysters and aphrodisiacs. Um, almonds. That's kind of along with the the stone fruits there. They're all very similar. Actually, did you know amaretto tastes like almonds, right? It's not actually made from almonds. It's made from peach pits. They're, they're such similar plants. That is so interesting. I had no idea. So almonds are on there. And like I said, sweet almond oil is what I've been using um, a lot for working with Voluptus, like dressing candles and things. Now I added chocolate. Um, but I also said ruby cocoa specifically. I don't know if you guys have ever tried this. This is this is genuinely like a new kind of chocolate. It still comes from the cocoa bean, but because of the way it's grown and harvested and, and roasted, it comes out this beautiful rose color and a lot more of the sweetness of the bean, which is actually a fruit, remains in the flavor. You have a lot more of a sweet flavor. And it has a slight like raspberry type flavor to it just naturally. So I've bought a couple of chocolate bars um, and ice cream bars made from the ruby cocoa and use them in devotional type of activities and offerings to, to Voluptus. I also chose eggplant. Now why eggplant? Let's be honest, I was having some fun. It's the emoji. Eggplant means dick now. Eggplant is dick. <laughs> it's also one of the most beautiful looking foods that I've ever seen in my life. It is a nightshade, just like the belladonna I mentioned earlier, right? And has this most like incredible lustrous purple skin and the inside is really it's a huge amount of food it's incredibly filling and it it adopts the flavor of whatever you cook with and just enhances it and it's really popular all throughout the mediterranean so it really does make sense but it is also the dick emoji <laughs> you can put it right next to the peaches and it's perfect right <laughs> so when it came to to devising devotional type activities or rituals, it, it's been a little slow because that's never been a huge part of my, my practice, right? 
I began small by making an altar using colors and symbols and other things listed above. Uh, I picked a place on my dresser against the mirror. I included Venus and Willendorf candles. So I have those like beautiful fat goddesses. Um, picked flowers and grapes and fruit uh, and pearls. Some real pearls because they're my earrings. <laughs> All of those symbols of her. Uh, images of starfish. Pictures and representations of Venus. And most recently, a painting of her parents, Eros and Psyche. That is actually like I made it as part of a, a like love and self-love spell. Very fun. I started wearing her colors. That was another easy thing to start doing. Uh, and I even bought new makeup. It's, it's all in slightly different colors than I've worn before. As far as like purples and stuff that I wear, it's always just a vibrant <laughs> violet, you know what I mean? But I've been going for a lot more wines and Bordeaux and etc. And everything smells like rose. Like even my lipstick that I'm putting on right now smells like rose petals. Interesting. New. Um, I still love my rose water and there's even more of it everywhere. So that works out. Been wearing lots of reds and purples and wines, lots of really soft fabric, um, makeup just because it makes me happy. I like that. Uh, I'm, I don't force myself or anything though. I put on my perfume at the, at my voluptus altar and my perfume does really make me think of her because it has some of her notes, you know, it's got like a patchouli and jasmine smell to it. And actually I want to incorporate more with smell. It really is one of my favorite physical senses in the whole world. I talked last episode about how much I love smells. So I stocked up on sweet almond oil as a carrier and ordered essential oils from some of her botanicals. Like I, I have patchouli already. I ordered honeysuckle, um, plum, and lilac so I can make kind of a, a custom blend. I also ordered a small potion bottle carved from strawberry quartz, which I haven't used much before, as I mentioned, but it's so pretty. It's very sparkly. And it's a, it's a small potion bottle that I can put my oil blend in and carry everywhere with me so I can, you know, have this devotional oil blend with me wherever I go. I'm also trying to be more mindful of certain things, namely the food and the cannabis. <laughs> The cannabis system in our brains overlaps a lot with the, the hedonic hotspots, all the pleasure stuff. We're hardwired to derive pleasure from cannabinoids and it kicks in those chemicals in our brain. So using cannabis in her honor or as an activity devotional ritual is great. But if you start leaning on it as a crutch or find yourself, you know, getting pleasure from nothing else except for the weed, it becomes a problem. So, you know, with food, we've been eating a little slower and really focusing on the flavors in it. I've been trying to cook more for myself. Um, what I like about the food, you know, just not just shuffling it in my mouth because I'm hungry and I just need to, you know, get some food in me. I'll actually put my phone down. I'll look at what I'm eating as <laughs> I'm eating it and I pay attention to it. Same with the weed. Mostly it's just, uh, I had to just, you know, do stupid things like wait for the THC to actually kick in instead of just chain smoking. Oh, the pandemic. It really gave me some bad habits. I developed some bad habits. But, you know, I just, um, I focus on how it makes me feel. And I've started asking myself more, will doing this right now really make me happy or, you know, would I rather be doing something else or am I just bored? <laughs> I get bored a lot. And 
that's been pretty good for me. If you practice sex magic, any sort of sexual activity can be done in the name of Voluptus or can receive her blessing, whatever. But finding pleasure in or with yourself and not relying on anyone else to provide it for you or give you permission to feel it is even more appropriate. So, you know, solar masturbation or even just massage, uh, touching different parts of your body, focusing on the feelings and the sensations, you know, giving yourself a massage after a really hard day, massaging your own feet. It doesn't sound super luxurious and it may be not as luxurious as having someone who's specially trained to do it for you, but it is a way that you can care for yourself and just make yourself feel a lot better. Pay attention to the feelings and, you know, how it makes you feel deep down when you care for yourself. That That's a great devotional ritual. And another kind of obvious way to, to honor Voluptus is to learn more about hedonism, the actual philosophy, you know? So there, I'm reading right now about the historical roots and the, you know, the discussions and the beliefs from ancient Greece. And I'm hoping to find some current sources on hedonism. So if anyone has recommendations... I'd love them. You can tag me on Twitter or what have you. Um, yeah, so that's just that's just some of the things I'm doing, some of the things I'm exploring, some of the ideas I'm working with. And I gotta say that right away, I got a sign that I was on the right track. So for a little while, I was spending Friday during the day, a couple Fridays in a row, I was like, I'm going to spend the entire day of Friday, which is associated with Venus. So I figured, you know, she won't mind. <laughs> I spent all of Friday focused on this, on Voluptus, on her energy. It was, you know, burning rose candles in her honor. I spent my room, my day in my room with my altar, divination, um, writing, all of that kind of thing. And after the first time I did that, the very next week on, you know, maybe Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, I get a call from the local sexual assault crisis center who I had reached out to like 10 months ago <laughs> about um, getting some therapy for a sexual assault I experienced more than 10 years ago now. And a couple days after my first day spent solely focused on the energy of Voluptus. I got a phone call from them and I had been accepted into therapy. I had been um, paired up with a really cool fellow Italian, <laughs> fellow Italian uh, caseworker, counselor. And I also got accepted into the neurofeedback program, which is, um, it's a type of therapy that reads your brain waves. It reads your brainwaves and it sees how they work right now. Different experiences, especially traumatic experiences, they affect, you know, the chemicals you release, but also the actual brainwaves. And all of that is habitual. So the part of our brain that controls pleasure in the reward, reward center is also the part of our brain that controls conditioning, of course, right? conditioning and learning. That's why positive reinforcement is a much more effective learning tool because it actually activates that part of the brain. Anyways, I've been learning lots of really cool stuff about the brain lately. <laughs> um, so this is a type of therapy that, you know, checks out where your brain waves are at now. 
if they are not running in peak form, that can have you, you know, struggling to get out of survival mode and stuff like that. Having extreme anxiety, you know, um, flashbacks and freezing up and, and all sorts of issues like that. So over six months, you retrain your brain, you retrain your brain waves so that the proper brain waves are being used at the proper time. So you're not constantly running on danger mode. You can run, you know, on regular mode unless there's actual danger. Because running on danger mode keeps you safe for a really long time, but it will burn you out. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so perfect. Like, this is all just so, it's, it's just, it's all lines up, right? So to me, that was a, that was a pretty good sign that I was on the right track and I'm just a couple weeks in, but so far it's been super, super helpful. And every week in the, the, the therapy session, I hear things, I hear words or expressions or ideas that later when I'm by myself, really bring me back to Voluptus, to this energy, to the little bits of her story that I know, to, you know, the things that I've learned about pleasure. <laughs> they just, they keep reinforcing each other back and forth. So I feel like I'm on a, I'm on a pretty good track. It's been pretty exciting. It's a way for me to, you know, really try to live my life. I'm, I'm so fortunate. I'm so fortunate. And I, I worked really hard to get as fortunate as I am. <laughs> I worked really hard, but I'm really fortunate and I'm super grateful that I'm finally in a place where I can take a breath, where I don't have to constantly be worried if I'm ever going to eat again, <laughs> where, you know, my bills are paid. I'm not in an overwhelming amount of debt. I'm, I'm doing okay for now. I can enjoy my life. Or at least I could, if I could settle the fuck down. So, <laughs> so I'm hoping that this journey will help me settle the fuck down, but, um, it will help me break free of that anhedonia, that, that struggle to, to want or to, to like, to desire things. You know, I, there's so much I want in life, but I feel so disconnected from that. Likewise, I used to feel like someone who liked a million things, you know, I like all sorts of different kinds of music and all sorts of different kinds of this and all sorts of different kinds of that. And lately I just don't like anything really. And it's just frustrating. And it's not just me. <laughs> it's not just me. A lot of people feel like this right now after the, the kind of solitary years we're having. And I know that that's definitely part of it, but still, this is life. And I've felt pretty good about it with this journey that I'm on and with everything that I'm learning about Voluptus. So if you guys feel like this is an energy that you guys have needed, if you feel like this is an energy that could help you, if this is, you know, a, a philosophy, hedonism that could help you, that could guide you in the right way, please feel free to take anything that I've talked about here and build on it. You know, if you're meditating and, and you're connecting with this energy with voluptus and you think you know i think Paige might have been wrong about a lot of these crystals i'm getting you know purple jasper and obsidian or just something different than what i did 
please go with that. Just follow that wherever it will go. Again, tag me on Twitter or something. I would love to hear what you guys come up with. And if there is anyone out there that works in a regular witch practice with Voluptus or Hedone, I'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear from you. That's so exciting to me. So I hope that this was an interesting episode for you guys. I, you know, I always love episodes where we get to talk a little bit Greek mythology. You know, call me a basic bitch, but I love myself Greek mythology. It's just, it's like comforting now, you know? <laughs> they're the stories that I grew up with, they're, they're my, they're almost like fairy tales, you know? They're my, they're my comfort stories. I know them all and I've heard them all 600 different ways. It never gets old for me. It gets old in general, but never for me. That's okay. So I hope you guys found this interesting. And I don't know, maybe next time you guys start feeling called to discover things like this, like what would an altar look like to this God or to this idea or to this whatever? What would a spell look like if I was trying to use these things? I hope you guys just start writing them down. Just start following the thread and see where it takes you. It might go nowhere. Or you might discover something really interesting and that can take you a lot further. Some of the greatest magic in the world is just finding really cool new things to learn. To learn more about me or the Fat Feminist Witch podcast, check out my website, thefatfeministwitch.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. To support the show, you can, of course, buy my books, Green Witchcraft and the Grimoire Journal, anywhere that you buy your favorite books. Both are written for witches of all skill levels to help you begin or deepen a relationship with the planet and craft a very personal, magical practice. If you want to make a little one-time donation, you can go to my website and click Buy Me a Coffee, or you can join my private monthly membership group at patreon.com slash thefatfeministwitch. If you have a witchy product, service, or publication and you want to reach a magical audience, you can advertise here on the show. Just go to advertisecast.com slash thefatfeministwitch to get started.